church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. You are the light that shines in me. You are the light that shines in me. Buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week. We're going to be talking about the ascension of our Lord, how he was taken up by cloud to sit down at the right hand of God the Father. What does that mean? Well, there's a, a lot of very juicy material there to dive into, and we'll be getting into that in just a few moments. The intro song is You Are the Light by Brandon Fitz and Ben O'Brien. Now, Ben is a family friend of ours from back east, and I had the pleasure of hooking up with Ben and meeting Brandon at the Catholic Men's Conference in Exeter about a month and a half ago now. Oh, it was a great time. I really enjoyed it. I think I've shared that material here on the show, and you can always check it out on my website, as well as get a link to Brandon and Ben's website at www.catholichack.com. Well, as I said, we're going to be talking about the ascension of our Lord. And what I love about the Ascension is it draws us into another uh, aspect of Revelation, the apocalypse, the unveiling. You know, John's vision in the book of Revelation of ripping back the veil of heaven and exposing, you know, God there at his throne to, to all of humanity. Well, the Fullness of Truth Catholic Evangelization Ministries is is hosting a Catholic family conference in Corpus Christi, Texas. It's July 17th and 18th, and it's featuring Dr. Scott Hahn. Now, as you know, I think I'm the biggest Dr. Hahn groupie on the planet, but I particularly love his work in this area of the Book of Revelation. His book, The Lamb's Supper, was monumental in my life, as well as probably countless thousands of others. He's bringing with him Dr. Brant Petrie, Dr. Michael Barber and Dr. John Bergsma, all to come and uh, to open up the scriptures, to to 
sort of pull back that veil of all the symbology and the deeper meanings and let it absorb to the average person. I think this is going to be a phenomenal conference. We had him in San Antonio in August of 09, and we did the Gospel of John. And so this will be a perfect follow-up to that. And uh, it's really a great conference for the entire family. There's going to be a child care. There's a youth track. There's also a Spanish track featuring featuring Hector Molina Jr., who will give presentations in Spanish on the Lamb Supper. And uh, and so there's just going to be a whole lot going on. Praise and worship concert, a concert with Eric Jenis. There's going to be a, a a movie showing of the 13th day. And so there's something for everyone in the family. For more information, log on to fullnessoftruth.org. If you're anywhere near Corpus Christi, Texas this July, you've got to come and check it out. All right, we've got a lot of material to jump into today, so we can't waste any additional time. Let's begin, as we always do, in a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory and praise to you, Almighty God, we come before you. We praise you. We seek you your word today. We ask you to send forth your Holy Spirit, that we might be enlightened, that we might be filled with your grace, that your word, your truth might be revealed to us. We ask this for your honor, for your glory alone, that we might commune with you, dear Father, that we might be so close to you and so intimate with you, that you would reveal your word to us. We ask for this grace and seek your mercy. We also ask for your special prayers over all those who are looking for work, all those struggling to make make ends meet, all those who are desperate to provide for their, their families, Father. I ask you to provide for their needs, to give them what they need so much, work, food, whatever they need, clothing, shelter. I beg and I intercede on their behalf. I seek your mercy and your glory and honor. I pray for life from conception to natural death. I pray for an end to abortion and the culture of death all over the world. I pray that you will be worshipped as you are in the sacred mass all over the world every day by everyone. I pray for the conversion of sinners and for those who are not united in the body of Christ because you sent your Son to send forth one new Jerusalem. I beg for the Christians on this planet to be united again in your church, that we might worship you as one, that the world will know that we have been sent by your Son, whom you sent, and who now stands before your face in the heavenly throne, interceding for us all perpetually. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in us the fire of thy love, and send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. I pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, again, we're talking about the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we essentially see this in, in basically three places. Mark uh, that's St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 19. St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 51 and following. And also the book of Acts, also written by St. Luke, in chapter 1, verse 9. So these are essentially the places that you can go to and read about the ascension of our Lord being taken up into heaven. Now, I want to focus on a couple of, of key items here. Number one, taken up. 
Now, what's interesting is he was taken up and he sat down at the right hand of God. We see this in Mark's gospel, chapter 16, verse 19. It says, quote, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, unquote. Now, that's very significant, this language of, of sitting down at the right hand of God. So I want you to, to pay attention to that. We'll get into a little more detail on that here in a minute. The next thing we, we, I want you to understand or to, to think about in this taking up of our Lord is the fact that he was taken up by a cloud. And we read about this in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. This cloud, this what we would call the Shekinah glory cloud of God. This is not your average cloud or some puffy little white smoky cloud that we see, you know, in, in the sky during a, a beautiful partly cloudy day as we're dreaming of shapes in the sky. No, this this cloud is very specific. We've seen this cloud before. If, for example, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 22, this is the cloud that led the people out of bondage in Egypt. You know, before Moses, during the day, this was a pillar of cloud. At night, this was a pillar of fire, leading the people out into the wilderness and then leading them to Mount Sinai. Again, as we skip forward to Exodus 19, verse 16, there at Mount Sinai, we see this cloud come down upon the mountain in fire and thunder and loud trumpets. And the people were scared. They were like petrified. This was so, uh, you know, think of the worst storm you've ever been in and multiply it by like a hundred. You know, this is like the environment and the people were just scared out of their mind and they refused to go up. And, and even though they were called to go up, they refused to go up. So Moses had to go. And so God said, don't even touch the mountain. It's so holy. And you people aren't, don't even touch it or you're going to die. Don't even let the animals touch it. This is the environment this cloud came down in. And Moses ascends this mountain, goes into the cloud, and receives the law of God. And he also has to beg for forgiveness, you know, for the on behalf of the people once they, they commit this sin of turning their hearts back to Egypt and all the Egyptian gods and asking Aaron to to fashion that golden calf, that golden bull of which they worshipped. Instead of worshiping the invisible God, they worship this golden calf. And so God's anger is enkindled against them. And so Moses, he intercedes on behalf of the people there in this cloud at the top of this mountain, begging him to remember, to remember his promise to the people. And so this is also a good example of the cloud. We now can move forward and we look at 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10. We see where King Solomon, after he had built the uh, the temple in seven years, and now he was consecrating it to the Lord, and he was, you know, making these prayers. And the priest, the Levitical priest, brought the Ark of the Covenant into the sanctuary. As soon as they did that, the cloud comes down and possesses the temple and fills the temple. And so that's First Kings chapter eight verse ten. So again, the Shekinah glory cloud, the cloud where God's presence is, comes down upon the temple because the ark is there. The ark is a throne for God to sit on, and He's put into the holy of holies, this inner sanctuary, this cube, as we talked about last week, which we see in the book of Revelation chapter twenty-one verse sixteen. It's perfect cube. This is the holy of holies. This is God's presence dwelling upon amongst man. And uh, as we skip forward, we look at the cloud in the New Testament, and we see in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36, 
you know, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the top of this mountain, and he is transfigured. He starts to, you know, show his glory, his radiance, his shining, you know, it's coming out of his face. His face is just shining, kind of like Moses did when he communed with God in the, the tent there. You know, when he spoke with God, his face would shine so much that the people of Israel in the wilderness were scared of Moses, and they made him veil his face because it made him nervous. Well, our Lord is now shining in glory. And there he starts to talk with Moses and Elijah at the top of this mountain. And then Peter gets all excited and says, oh, shall I shall I make some, some booths, some tabernacles, and we can just stay here forever? It's like utopia on earth. <laughs> He's a little giddy. That's why I like him so much. But then this cloud comes, and, and as they enter into this cloud, all of a sudden, Peter's like scared. You know, why? Well, think of all those Israelites there at the base of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, the thunder, the lightning, you know, how how scary that scene was. Well, this is, we can expect somewhat to be the same there. And from this cloud in, in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36, we hear the voice of God saying, this is my son, listen to him. So this cloud is no ordinary cloud. This is the Shekinah glory cloud of God. And this is the cloud that, that our Lord ascends into heaven on. So it's very, very significant, the cloud. Now, what's interesting is the Catechism of the Catholic Church brings out the fact that Christ's glorified humanity is at play here in the ascension. The fact that our Lord, in John's Gospel, we are told that he he comes down, that God takes upon flesh and dwells among man. He tabernacles among man. He, you know, he's taking on our tabernacle, the flesh, right? Well, that flesh, for you and me, is, is somewhat diminished from its created intention. It doesn't possess the, the full glory of what it was intended for because of our concupiscence, our sin nature, the fact that we inherit, inherit rather our sin from Adam, from the first original sin. Well, our Lord was preserved from that, obviously, being second person of the Trinity. And through the Immaculate Conception of His own mother, He comes into the, into humanity in, in sort of a different state. But He takes upon sin. You know, the Scriptures tell us that He becomes sin who knew no sin. So He takes all sin onto Himself. And then He dies upon the cross when He's lifted up and draws all men to Himself and goes into the grave. Well, on the third day, he comes out of that grave, resurrected in a glorified humanity that is, albeit still somewhat veiled through that, that the session of uh, this, this period of time between the resurrection and the ascension. But he does, he does show and hints of that glorified humanity. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about this in paragraph 659. It says, quote, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Christ's body was glorified at the moment of his resurrection, as proved by the new and supernatural properties it subsequently and permanently enjoys. But during the forty days when he eats and drinks familiarly with his disciples and teaches them about the kingdom, his glory remains veiled under the appearance of ordinary humanity. Jesus' final apparition ends with the irreversible entry of his humanity into divine glory, symbolized by the cloud and by heaven, where he is seated from that time forward at God's right hand. Only in a holy, exceptional, and unique way 
would Jesus show himself to St. Paul as to one untimely born in a last apparition that established him as an apostle. So it's Jesus' divine, his, his, his resurrected humanity that is united to God. This is, the, this is like the first fruits, okay? This gives us great hope. You know, only the one who came from him can return to him. In St. John chapter 16, verse 28, we read, quote, I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Unquote. Only he who came from the Father can return to him. Jesus stood there at the tomb of Lazarus in John's gospel, and he prayed aloud and says, you know, basically, Lord, I know you always hear me. But for their sake, for the people who are listening, for their sake, do I cry out to you now. He is teaching us by example. Jesus is a good leader. When I was in the military, we used to say, you lead by example. You lead from the front, not the rear. A good leader says, follow me. We're going to take the hill. A good leader does not say, go over there and take the hill and I'll be right behind you. Jesus never does that. He says, follow me to Calvary. We will take the hill, but you will follow me up because I will lead the way. That is a good leader. That is a man that people want to follow. Okay? So our Lord is following, is, I'm sorry, he's leading the way the entire time. And even in his death and his resurrection and his ascension and in, in being united forever to God the Father in heaven. In, on one sort of simple level on, that relates to you and I. Okay? This is him leading the way because one day we can look forward to our own death and our resurrection, our glorified humanity being then united to God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit perpetually in heaven. That's called the beatific vision. And we can look forward to that day because Jesus led the way. Now, he's also the true high priest. Now, we we know and we talked about how the high priest always offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. Okay, once a year, the high priest was authorized to go into the Holy of Holies, there where that cloud existed, there sitting on the throne of the Ark of the Covenant. One time a year on the Day of Atonement, he could offer up sins on behalf of the people inside that Holy of Holies. Now, the high priest, before he could go in there, he had to offer up a particular sacrifice for himself. That was a bull offering. He had to offer up an entire bull for himself before he could offer up the sacrifice for the people. Now, why a bull? Well, because the priest, the high priest, is he's basically the descendant of Aaron. Aaron, who was the first high priest, you know, ordained through Moses by God. Okay, he committed a big sin. He turned back, he allowed his weakness, his cowardice, allowed the people of Israel to worship a golden calf. And Moses took their gold and fashioned that calf and they worshiped it. Now he tried to play, he tried to play both sides on the deal. He tried to say basically, well, this golden calf represents Yahweh who led you out of the land of Egypt. But 
God forbid that. You know, that was not what God, God put Apis to death. He put 10 plagues on 10 Egyptian gods. He was trying to show the people, I am God and they are not. And the people turned their hearts back to Egypt instead of towards God. And Aaron, through his cowardice, you know, he acquiesced to their to their demands. So because of that, every high priest, every year on the, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, had to offer up a bull for himself. It's basically saying, look, Aaron, or you descendant of Aaron, successor of Aaron, you must choose me over the bull, over the calf, over the Egyptian god Apis. And so then he could go in and offer up sacrifice for all the people. Well, Jesus is the true high priest, and he goes into heaven and he perpetually offers intercession and his own sacrifice to God forever. We read in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 6, quote, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, unquote. The lamb standing as if slain. This is our Lord's sacrifice, where John the Baptist in St. John's Gospel in chapter 1 says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the, the sacrifice, the firstborn, offered up for the sins of all of humanity. And instead of the perpetual sacrifice that came about as a result to the people worshiping that golden calf there at Mount Sinai, now we have only the one sacrifice of Calvary being perpetually offered at the throne of God in heaven. We see that, you know, alluded to there in Revelation 5, 6. We are told in Hebrews chapter 12, quote, in verse 22, quote, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly, the ecclesia, the church, of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to a judge who is God of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. Unquote. Moses interceded on behalf of all the people in the cloud at Mount Sinai, begging God to remember his promise and his words to the people. Jesus a more perfect Moses, stands in heaven as the lamb standing as if slain, perpetually reminding God of his, of his promise, of his words, of his covenant with the people, because it's his sacrifice that atones for the sins of mankind. Now, this right hand, again, let's get back to the right hand of God. This is the inauguration of the Messiah's kingdom. We read in Psalm 110, starting in verse 1, quote, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your foes. This is royal language of God, of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, ascending into heaven, sitting down at the right hand of God, taking up his throne perpetually. And God the Father making his enemies his footstool. The, the kingdom of the Messiah has come. Jesus hinted at this many times. And this, in fact, is one of the, the, one of the, the references. What got, let me ask you a question. What got Jesus 
killed. What earned him the death penalty? Was it because he claimed to be Messiah? No. Many people claimed to be the Messiah. Then what was it? What was it that earned him the death penalty? Well, we see this in St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 61 through 65. Quote, But he was silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments, his vestments, and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike at him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Jesus claims to be God. The words, I am, take us back to Exodus 3 in the burning bush with Moses, when God says, tell them, I am who am sent you. Ego me are the Greek words. Jesus uses them here. I am, but then he goes on to talking about, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Now, the coming doesn't mean coming down, but coming up, coming up to heaven, where he will be seated at the right hand of God. What gets Jesus killed is the fact that he claims to be God. Now, he either is or is not, and we can maybe talk about that at a different show. But being God, second person of the Blessed Trinity, is what gets him killed. And the fact that he even tells them, you will see me coming. You will see me coming in glory, where I sit down and receive my kingship, sit down on my throne, where all of my enemies become my footstool. We see further allusions to ascending and descending in Genesis 28.12, Jacob's ladder, there are the angels ascending and descending on the ladder. We also see it in John 1, 1, uh, verses 43 through 51 with Nathaniel. You can check that out as well. This is also a fulfillment of Daniel's vision in 7.14. Okay, so go back and read that. The sitting at the right hand of God. This is royal language. This is messianic language. So it's very particular, very precise. Now, I want to get on to... Where? Where did this occur? Where did he ascend? If we look at St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 51, we are told that he led them out as far as Bethany. Now, there are two Bethanies in Scripture that we can, uh, that I can think of anyway. There is Bethany on the Mount of Olivet, and then there's another Bethany. But let's start with the Bethany on the Mount of Olivet. Now, Bethany on the Mount of Olivet was a Sabbath day's journey. You can read that in Acts chapter 1. A Sabbath day's journey is a limitation. On the Sabbath was a day of rest. You couldn't travel or work too hard or very far. You couldn't travel very far or work too hard. Basically, you could travel about a mile. And so a Sabbath day's journey means he was in Jerusalem, and so he could only go about a Sabbath day's journey, so Bethany on the Mount of Olivet. That's also where Lazarus was raised in John chapter 11. But this is an allusion to another Bethany, Bethany across the Jordan, which we read about in John chapter 1, verse 28. This is where John the Baptist was baptizing. This is where Joshua brought the Israelites out of the wilderness into the land by parting the sea, the the river of Jordan. When the the priests were holding the ark, stood in the the river, it dried up and, and the Israelites passed through on dry ground. 
Okay, that's found in Joshua chapter 3. Then, by the way, Joshua is the name for Jesus, the Hebrew name, Yahshua. This is Jesus' name. Jesus is the Greek form. And Yahshua, this is the Hebrew form, meaning God saves. So Joshua in Joshua 3 is a prefigurement for the real Joshua, Jesus, which would come as the Messiah. Now, this is the same Bethany that another prototype of Christ also crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. That would be Elijah. Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2 is taken up into heaven by a whirlwind. But before he goes, he gives a double portion of his spirit to Elisha. So we see some very specific allusions to this Bethany across the Jordan where Joshua comes across the Jordan, where Elijah is taken up into heaven by a whirlwind, and he gives his spirit, his double portion of his spirit, onto Elisha, who sort of replaces him as this prophet figure in the the family of God. Okay. Now, I asked my friend Steve Ray, the Catholic convert, Jerusalem Jones, as many know him, what he thought about the two Bethanies. And he said, quote, Mount of Olives overlooks the holy city and the golden gate, which he, Jesus, will enter upon his return. Jerusalem is the city of God, the new Jerusalem, the church. I think he goes and comes from the holy city and not the desert, unquote. Now, here's the point. Jesus, like Elijah, leading Elisha, he leads the twelve apostles to Bethany in Luke twenty four fifty one. He tells them to go and make disciples of all nations in Matthew twenty eight sixteen through twenty. He tells them to remain in Jerusalem until they receive the Holy Spirit. Like Elijah giving a double spirit to Elisha, Jesus gives that to his apostles in the book of Acts chapter two. For John baptized with water, but I, Jesus says, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's Acts one four through five. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses unto the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1, verse 8. Now, in John chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, our Lord prays. He intercedes, saying, quote, The glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, the apostles, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them even as thou hast loved me. Unquote. That's the Ascension. May God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Underground.